All right, I will say good morning. Good morning. Let us begin. Begin by thanking all of our sponsors, our Tamatora sponsors for the month of Teves. Mrs. Selma Wolf for dedicating all the Shurman Joshos this month. With immense gratitude for the refuals from Hashem and the merit of refuals for all of those in need in the schus of our brave soldiers and return of our hostages. Leah's soul as the schus for refuals for her daughter Ilana Bas Esther for the safety of our soldiers and the safe return of all of the hostages to their families. Our day of learning sponsor, Mrs. Bracha Shup, in memory of her, the yard site of, commemoration of the yard site of her father, Albert Hamui, Fran Hisler, in memory of her beloved father, Avram Ben Sender Bemalko, whose yard site is today. Our Dafyomi sponsors for today, Malka and Simi Esterson, in honor of their son Ari's engagement to Dorit Pandik of Miami, Florida. Mazel tov, mazel tov. Maybe we should move this year there. It might be, uh, might not be a bad idea. I, certainly in the morning like this. Mazlav, mazlav, mir Hashem, you should be zochat. To walk the chasen down to the chuppah, b'sha'at tova, u'metzlach, chasen, sleep, and build the binyan adi'ad, and meh, v'esim, shanim, tovos. Our Dafyomi sponsor, Paul Pollock, is in honor of Ira Grossman, with Hakara Sato for having taken the initiative to take pictures of his grandson, Simcha, putting on tefillin for the first day. They are wonderful and a tremendous demonstration of Ava Schinom, wishing him safe travels back to his home in Eretz Yisrael. Beautiful. We dedicate this year to the soldiers who fell in battle yesterday, Staff Sergeant Sufian Dagash and Sergeant First Class Marion Moshe Gersh. We hope that in the merit of our Talmud Torah, during the Shamas, will have an aliyah and their families in Chama. And of course, we dedicate all of Masechus Baba Kamo, Li'ilu'i Nishmas Master Sergeant Elio Michal Kharush Hashem Yikom Damo, May our Torah provide an aliyah for his neshama and nechama for his family. And we'll say with that, let us begin. We have a lot to do today. Today's daf is Samech Beis, 62. And we are picking up actually at the Mishnah on 61b. Ah, sorry, the Gemara, thank you. On, uh, on 61b, let me just go. 61b, so the Gemara says, well, so remember again, this is one of these machloks and we've been referencing for so long. The machlok is Rabbi Hudan Rabbanon about Tamon about when H goes ahead and damages something that is hidden in the field, is there liability or not? Rabbi Yehuda says there is. Did I want to say that you are potter? So let's analyze. Says the Gemara, Shav Kana says like this. Where is the Machlokis Rabbi Yehuda? The Machlokis is where I light a fire, in, I light a fire in my field, and then the fire travels to Ruvain's field, and does damage there. What's the machlokas? Rabbi Yehuda Rabbi Huda says that Shechayev, even for damages done to things that are hidden in the field, for Abonon Patrin, and Abonon say that Shechayev, Avo, the Mavdik Pesol Shechavero. But I will say, watch this. If you kindle a fire in someone's field, I, I go over to Reuven's field, and I light a fire in his field, in that case, Everyone agrees that you have to pay for everything, that which is seen and that which is tamun. Now, what's the logic? What's the distinction? The distinction actually is, is pretty simple. The distinction is, you know, if I light a fire in my own field, so that's not an act of negligence, right? In other words, the act of lighting a fire in my field is my right. Is my right. That's where the Rabbana will say your patra on tamun. But again, I will say, if I go over to Rufin's field and light a fire in his field, there's no license to do that. In other words, there's no right to do that. There's no there's no tour that says there's no there's no there's no permission to do that. And therefore, again, even the Rabbanon would agree that there is complete liability, whether it's for the items that you know about or the items you don't know about. That's Rav Kahana's position. Come Amalei Rav. Rav says if that's the case, Ihachi. So, so comes along Rav and Rav says like this. If that's true. If that's true, then halacha lamaisa, the Mishnah should read differently. Well, remember again, what did the Mishnah say? After, according to Machalik Yisrael, Yudin the Rabbanon, with Tamon in the field, they bring up the case of Madlik Esabira. I burned down Ruvain's house. I burned down Ruvain's house. So everyone agrees that in the case of burning down Ruvain's house, that's what? I am liable for everything inside of the house. What's the logic there? The logic there is because people keep stuff in their house. That's, that's what I was supposed to say. The Petur of Tamun, the Petur of Tamun is related to the concept that it's not common for people to keep utensils in their field. What's normal to be in a field? What's normal to be in a field? Produce, crops, vegetation. That's normal. But, but Kaelin, utensils, that's abnormal. That's why the Rabbanon exempt you. But in a home where it's common to keep all kinds of stuff, 
Therefore, halacha lemaisa, even the rabbanu would agree that you're that you're liable for everything. Well, if that's the case, instead of bringing down the home in the Mishnah, why not say as follows? Why not say, lift log of lift every day. Go ahead and literally make a distinction in the initial case in the Mishnah. One is it so that the Rabbanon say that your partner for Tamun, the Madlik, Besoch Shelo, Vahalcha Vahachla, Besoch Shechavero. If you light a fire in your own field and the fire then spreads into the field of your friend, Aval Madlik, Besoch Shechavero. But if Halachla might see you go ahead and you kindle a fire directly in your friend's field, in other words, you do something illegal. I walk over to Ruben Sealed and I light a fire in Ruben Sealed. I have no right to do that. In that case, Everyone will agree, even the Rabbanon, that for everything, everything, crops, vegetation, utensils, anything that's in the field. Now, now, of course, what the Gemara is suggesting is the fact that the Mishnah doesn't do that would seem to indicate that Rav Kahana's position is incorrect. Okay, but nevertheless, that's Rav Kahana's position. Comes along Rava, Allah Rava. Rava says, no, Rav Kahana. I disagree with you, and I will say this, of course, is going to become the authoritative version of the Mishnah. <laughs> or the authoritative version of the Machlokas. The Machlokas Shabudin the Rabbana is actually in both cases. In both cases. Pligi. So we'll say number one case that they argue with, which is the paradigmatic case. I light a fire in my field, and what happens? The fire spreads. The fire spreads. And that extends ultimately again into Ruvain's field. Okay? Now we'll say in that case, what, what's the machlokis? Okay, so we'll say that's the paradigmatic machlokis by Tamun and the one we have in the Mishnah. Rabbanon say, I'm not chayev on Tamun. Rabbi Huda says, I am chayev on Tamun. That's case one. But there's more. What's more? The truth is, according to Rabbi Rabbanon, the machlokis is also in a case where I go into Ruvain's field and Mamish intentionally light the fire there. What's the Machlokas? Okay, now watch this. Rabbi Huda holds Rabbi Huda. Remember, Rabbi Huda pretty much categorically rejects the concept of Tamun. So therefore he holds that you are going to be Chayiv for everything that's found in Ruvain's field. But here's the difference. Here's the difference. Generally, we're going to see, according to Rabbi, that Rabbi Huda will say, you're for things that would normally be found in a field. In other words, I, I ignite the fire in my field, and what happens? It spreads ultimately to Ruvain's field, and it burns Ruvain's tractor, right? Uh, tractor is not a good thing of Tamil, right? It burns his, up, you know, let's say the plow, right? The plow is, uh, you can't see it, right? It's hidden inside of the crabs, or, or it burns a, a shovel, right? Some other things that, that would be normal to be in the field, but something that wouldn't normally be in the field, it appears that even Rabbi Huda would hold that you should be potter for that. But when is that so? When is that so? That and Rabbi Gidali, this is this is your point, right? And but ultimately, when is that so? That's so when you're kindling a fire in your own field and it spreads. But if you do something as damaging as go, I go over to Ruben's field and I light the fire in Ruben's field, then what? I'm chayiv for everything. See, even if Ruben had a pile of gold you know, sitting in his field, or he left his wallet in his field, Rabbi Huda would say, I'm chayiv for that as well. I'm chayiv for that as well. So the Gemara says, however, Rabbanon Savi, the Rabbanon say, Kelim Shedak on the Hatmin Begadish, Kigon, Morikin, Ukle Bakar, Hudim Shali. The Rabbanon will say, Rabbi Huda, I agree with you that when, that when someone goes over, I go over to go ahead and light the fire in Ruben's field that I'm going to be chayiv for everything but everything only means what? Still, utensils that are normal to keep in the field. He says, for example, morigan of us, right? Morigan are threshing tools, right? Clay bakar, different utensils used for my cows. That's when I'll pay. Shein dak and the hatman the gadish logo, lobin But things that ultimately, again, are not commonly found in the field, that I would not be chayif for. That was say, so this is incredibly important. So watch this. Let's, let's just take a step back here in just a second. So here's how Rava frames the Machlokas. So first of all, what Rava says is the Machlokas Rabbi Huda and the Rabbanon 
really applies in both scenarios. In scenario one, where I light the fire in my field and it spreads to Ruben's field, and in scenario two, where I light the fire in Ruben's field. Okay, so what's the machlokis in both cases? Case number one is the classic machlokis. I light the fire in my field, it spreads to Ruben's field, and Ruben has property inside of the field, and the fire destroys the property as well. So, but the property was hidden, right? Meaning it wasn't visible, it was hidden, it was hidden. So what's Talach, huh? So the Rabbanon say, Tamun, you're Potter. You're Potter. Rabbi Huda says, Tamun, you're Chayif. You're Chayif. Now I will say, now interestingly enough, it would appear, it would appear based on the qualification of this Machlokas, that ultimately, again, when does Rabbi Huda say, you're Chayif? He says, you're Chayif for items normally kept in a field. Now the Gemara gives examples. What are items normally kept in a field? Agricultural tools, farming tools, animal tools. That's what you're chayyif for, for Tamun. But even Rabbi Huda would agree that if you have something in that field, right? I light a fire in my field, it spreads to Ruvain's field, and it turns out that Ruvain decides to keep his, uh, you know, I don't know, his, his, his gold, you know, in his field. Even Rabbi Huda would agree, no, you're not, you're not chayyif for that. That's not reasonable for that to be in a field. That's Machlokes 1. Machlokes 2, according to Rava, is I go over to Ruvain and I light a fire in Ruvain's field. In that case, Rabbi Huda says, because that is such an act of damage, such, such a, such a poshea, such a damager, I'm chayiv for everything. Vegetation, stuff that's hidden, but even the stuff that wouldn't normally be in a field. The Rabbanon, on the other hand, say, will make you chayiv for basic tamun, i.e. stuff that, that's visible and that's not visible, as long as it's normally in a field. But if it's not normally in a field, the Rabbanon would still hold that Allah so you're not liable for that. So I will say, this is the version of the Mechlokas, ultimately, again, according to, according to Rabbah. Incredible. So let's go back there. Says the Gimar, Tzana Rabbanon, Hamadikes HaGadashvahiyu Bokelim, Vidalku, Vidalku. So I will say, so now remember again, Gimar is now quoting from the Mishnah. What happens if I go ahead and I set Ruben's house on fire, and inside of Ruben's house is stuff. Right, his stuff. What's talacha? So Rabbi Huda Omer Mishalim Komashai Brisa, not the Mishnah. I'm sorry. Rabbi Huda Omer Mishalim Komashai Besoho. Rabbi Huda says you have to pay for everything. You have to pay for everything. The Chachamim Omrin, the Chachamim say, "Eino Mishalim Ela Godish Shalchitin." I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I read this wrong. Madlikes Agodish. I go and I ignite Ruvain's field. Excuse me. I go and ignite Ruvain's field, and inside of the field there were utensils. The utensils burned as well. So what's talacha? Rabbi Yehuda Omer Shalim Komashai Besoho. So Rabbi Yehuda holds that Allah Chalamai says you have to pay for everything because he doesn't hold of Tamun. The Chacham and the Chum say, "Einu Mishalim Ela Godish Shalchitin, O Godish Shal Saorin." The Chum say you only pay for the actual veg- the field and the, veg- the vegetation itself, the crops, right? Whether it's whether it's standing grain or standing barley or pile barley, pile up grain, Varoin Makom Kalim, Kiilu Hu Malitvua. Now, both say, now, this is very interesting. So now, let's, let's, let's go. So remember again, the Rabbanon hold that in general, you are potter for Tamun, right? In general. I go ahead and I ignite a fire. The fire goes into Ruben's field. It destroys his standing crop. I'm chayy for that. He had other utensils hidden inside of the field. I'm not liable for that. That's the Rabbanon. The Braise adds in a very interesting qualification. However, both say, the Rabbana will say, while we won't hold you liable for Tamun, the space that the utensil occupied, we view that space as if it was filled with grain. So whereas you won't be liable for the utensils that are lost, we, but, but nevertheless, we'll try to recapture some of the loss by recognizing, by doing, okay, if the utensils weren't there, there would be standing grain there, we'll make you liable for that grain. Interesting. Type of Samech, page 62a. When is that so? So once again, what, what case are we talking about over here? I lit a fire in my field, and the fire extended into Ruvain's field. But if I went into Ruvain's field, and they mamish lit the fire in Ruvain's field, then what? Although it takes out over here the Divri HaKol. Divri HaKol takes this out. But whatever, Divriakol, Mishalin Kamashayu Besoho. The Evro says again, if I go ahead and I kindle it in, I kindle the fire in Ruvain's field, everyone agrees, even the Rabbanon, that you're for everything. 
you're high for everything. Now, we'll say, so this is just restating what we just saw before, just adding in that extra knate, right? What's, what's being added over here? What's being added over here is that even when the Rabbonans say that your Pateran Tamun, they view the area occupied by the grain as if it was filled with utensils. I'm sorry, just the opposite. They view the area occupied by the utensils as if it was filled with grain. That, that's the knage. That's the knage over here. I will say, but again, same idea. All of this is said, all of this is said when you're lighting a fire in your field and it spreads to your friends. But if Halach say you do something so damaging, right? You do something so amazing, so as to go over to another person's field and light a fire in their field, even the Rabbanon will say that you're chayiv for utensils that are damaged. Incredible. Umod Rabbi Huda Chachamim, and Rabbi Huda agrees with the Chacham. It's an interesting case here. So we'll say, imagine the following scenario. I lend Ruvain space in my field to pile his grain. Okay? I lend him space to pile his grain. Vehigdish, vehitmin. Ruvain piles his grain, and he hides utensils inside of his grain. Inside of the grain, even Rabbi Hudu agrees, Shein Mishalim Eladimei Gadish Bilvad. Ultimately, that I, I, the owner of the space, because in other words, I rented the space to Ruvain. <laughs> so obviously now what happens? A fire breaks out in my field, spreads to Ruvain, spreads to Ruvain's wheat, consumes the wheat, but also ends up consuming the utensils inside of it. Even Rabbi Hudu agrees that I'm only obligated to pay for the amount of the wheat. Right? Not for the utensils. What's the logic? Rashi says over here, this is very important because what's the case over here? The case over here is I say to Ruvain, right? Ruvain asks me if he could go ahead and borrow some space to store his grain. I say, sure. Sure, he wants to pile his grain. I give him a piece of land. Here. Obviously, when I'm lending him land, what else am I doing? I'm accepting a certain level of responsibility just to not damage him. So I'm say, what level of responsibility am I accepting? Well, I'm only accepting based on what he told me. What did he tell me? What did he tell me? He's storing grain. What didn't he tell me? What didn't he tell me? That he's storing utensils. Therefore, my liability is capped at whatever it is he asked of me. He asked for grain, I granted grain, and therefore, again, I'm not liable for anything else. And even Rabbi Yehuda will agree in this case that if it turns out that he hid utensils in there, I am not liable for that. We'll say very, a very interesting, a very interesting carve-out. Well, again, it's logical. You can never be responsible for more than what you accept the responsibility for based on what the other person told you you're accepting responsibility for. So if Ruben asks me to go ahead and pile grain on my land, and I say, sure, I have no reason to expect that there's anything other than grain being piled on my field. Therefore, again, that's what my liability is capped at. Really very interesting. Similarly, again, we'll say, so we'll say, for example, so let's say Reuben went ahead and asked to go ahead and pile wheat, and it ends up that he ends up piling barley, right? Or he went ahead and he piled wheat and, right, I'm sorry, right, and he went ahead and he ends up piling, he ends up piling wheat, or he piles wheat and he ends up covering it with barley, or he piles barley and ends up covering with wheat. In all of these cases, in all of these cases, you only have to pay, I only have to pay, the value of the barley. The value of the barley, Rashi says over here, in all of these cases, what the common denominator is, is I think that I'm accepting responsibility only for the barley. I see even in this case, ultimately again, where for example, Ruvain asked me to go ahead and put wheat on my field, right? And I say, sure. And then he puts wheat, but he covers the wheat with barley. So that when I see it, I assume that what is he keeping there? What is he keeping there? Barley. So again, I will say, my liability cannot be any more than what I'm able to see. Even though he asked me for wheat, since it looks like barley. I will say, by the way, this is all assuming that barley, of course, is less expensive than wheat, right? That's, that's the assumption that I was always working with. Good. So I will say, that's the halacha. So I will say, bottom line, bottom line. What's interesting is, oh, actually, we won't get to bottom line yet. But I will say, but it seems to be clear that the Gemara is adopting the position of Rava and rejecting the position of Rav Kahana. Therefore, again, I will say, what that means is, the Mahlogis Rabbi Huda and the Rabbanon about Tamun extends in both cases. 
the case where I light the fire in my field and it extends into Reuven's field, and the case in which I light the fire in Reuven's field directly. What's the machlokas? In case number one, where I light the fire in my field and it extends into Reuven's field. So in that case again, and now it turns out, my fire that started in my field that goes to Reuven's field destroyed Reuven's crops, and he also had utensils in the field. Rabbi Huda will say, Yuchayif for everything. Drabbanon will say, Chayiv for the crops, potter on the hidden utensils. That is called Tamun. That's case one. Case two, I go and I light a fire in Ruvain's field, destroys his crops and hidden utensils. Ultimately, when we say also say hidden, just to qualify, it doesn't mean that Ruvain necessarily actively went to hide them. It means they're not visible. They're not visible. Like if you could imagine the if you could imagine the, 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 the site with like standing grain. So in standing grain, whatever stuff is on the ground, you don't see it. You don't see it. So in that case, case number two, where I light the fire and ultimately it destroys grain, crops, as well as as well as utensils. So in that case, Rabbi was saying, Rabbi Huda will say that Shechayev for everything. What does everything mean? Everything means crops, utensils. Whether utensils would normally be there or not normally be there. Yuchayev for everything. The Rabbanon will say crops and utensils that would normally be there. But for stuff that wouldn't normally be in a field, Halacha said the Rabbanon will say that you're not chayev. So both say, so that's where we're holding with this machlokas right now. Okay, let's go right. We're not finished. Amr very interesting case here. Hanosim shal kasafu. So also, let's say a man gives over to a woman. Now, the fact that it's a woman is, is irrelevant over here. That's just that's just the scenario that Gemara is choosing. A man gives over to a woman a dinar, a gold dinar. And he says to her, listen, watch this for me. And be very careful. It's pure silver. Okay. So what's the halacha? Hizikaso, let's say she damages it. In other words, she's actively negligent. And she damages it. Mishalemes dinar zav. Ultimately, again... He has to, she has to go ahead and pay back a dinar zav. Why? Because he will say, here's the difference. He says to her, you actively damaged this. In other words, you damaged this. You threw, in other words, we'll say, if you can imagine, he gives her, right, he goes ahead and he gives her a dinar. He says, be careful, it's a gold dinar. Be careful with this, it's pure silver. So one day she gets angry at him. And what does she do? She throws it into the sea. So in that case, she's chayiv for a gold dinner. Why? Because I will say, what right do you have to actively damage the property of another? That's what it means. What right, does, hey, what, what, what right do you have to damage? So therefore, full liability. On the other hand, Pashabo, we'll say, let's say again, she's negligent and it's stolen from her. Right? She just doesn't, right? She's stolen from her. So Mishalames, Kashal Kazaf. She only has to pay back the value of a silver dinner. Why? Because she said, listen, I accepted upon myself responsibility to watch a silver dinner because that's what you told me. I did not accept the responsibility to watch, to watch a gold dinner. Therefore, again, I will say, see, see this interesting distinction? If she herself actively damages it, then we kind of like we throw the book at her. Like, what are you doing? What are you doing? So pay for a gold dinner. But if something just happens, again, she might be negligent, but she doesn't mean to damage it. Then she's only hired for what she thinks she accepted responsibility for, i.e. a silver dinner. Incredible. Amrali Rav, Amrali Rav, Mordechai Masnisola. You explain this position of Mishnah according to Rav. But we learn out the Shita from the Mishnah. How so? Right? If he went ahead and piled wheat and covered it with barley, took barley and covered it with wheat. Ultimately, again, you only have to pay the value of barley. Therefore, again, why? Because ultimately, again, the person watching the produce says, I only accepted upon myself the responsibility for barley. Again, what I think is before. Therefore, again, she says, "You told me it was a silver dinner," and therefore, again, I accepted upon myself the responsibility to watch a silver dinner and nothing more. Okay, Amarav Shamis Mahi. So the Gemara says, "Listen to this." So, so, Rav, so Rav, Rav said, "I heard an explanation." Ultimately, again. 
according to Rabbi Yehuda, but I don't remember what it was. So I'm sorry, so ultimately, again, right, does father not remember what he heard? Rabbi Yehuda, the Mechayev on this gate, Chamun Be'ish, Asu Takhanas Nigzal this is riveting. Watch this. So he reminds me, Father, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what you heard. According to Rabbi Yehuda, who holds that Shechayah for Tamun, right? They both say, this is Rabbi Yehuda and our Mishnah. Rabbi Yehuda holds that Allah Chalamai, so when I light a fire and it goes down and damages Ruvain's field, so not only am I, not only am I liable ultimately again for the damaged crop, which is visible, but if there were other utensils in the field, even if they were not visible, I am Chayiv for damaging them as well. According to Rabbi Yehuda, according to Rabbi Yehuda, they made, they extended the Takana of theft to fire. What's the takana of theft? The fire boss take a look at Rashi. Asu takanas nigzal veisho. Rashi says, Ki hechi de tiknu rabbanon le nigzal, di shava kama gazlo, vihito, the sam sechashuus, elunish button venotlin, has soher by nigzal, kach tiknu beisho, shishba mahit mevito. Both say, watch this, this is fascinating. Here's the case. Let's talk about takanas nigzal. Takanas nigzal says like this. I say, I come to Bezin, I say, Ruvain stole from me $1,000. $1,000. So the halacha is, the halacha is, that I could take a shvua, and if I'm willing to swear to the amount, willing to swear to the amount, ultimately I could collect based on my shvua. So the Gemara wants to suggest over here as follows, that the same takana applies to Aisha as well, meaning what according to Rabbi Huda. Let's say again, I light a fire, fire goes into Ruvain's field, Fire destroys Ruvain's field and his utensils. There's Tamun. Now I will say, what's the problem with Tamun destruction? What's the problem? No one knows. In other words, Ruvain claims he knows, but I'm like, I don't know. Like, In other words, even according to Rabbi Huda, even according to Rabbi Huda, who says that I'm chayiv for Tamun damage that I caused, but how, how do we know what was really damaged? So according to Rabbi Huda, Rabbi Huda must extend the takana of theft over to Aish and says that what? Reuven could show up in Beisdin, claim, now again, I will say, obviously the damage to the crops that we could assess. We know it was a field, we know how much a field is worth, right? What, so that we could assess. But what, what happened? How do you, how do you, what do you do with Tamun? Reuven says, Silber's fire destroyed $10,000 worth of equipment in my field. And he swears. He takes a shvua. And if he's willing to take a shvua with that, over that, then ultimately, again, I could be forced to pay as a result of that shvua. So that, the same takana that applies to a case of theft, Rabbi Huda applies it to Taman by Aish. Fascinating. We'll say second wide line, Samech Be'ezimundalif. So we'll say, Baya Meymar, Asu takanas nigzal b'masar olo. So we'll say, this is interesting. Did they extend the takana of the nigzal to a masar? We'll say, what's a moser? A moser ultimately, again, is someone who hands over another Jew to, the, to a corrupt government and causes the corrupt government to extort money from them. So it's right, it's one Jew goes ahead and gives over right to another Jew and, and says again, as a result of that Mesira, as a result of that Mesira, we'll call it, Ruben gives over Shimon, Shimon loses money. So I'll say, so now, can, can Shimon come to Beisdin, can Shimon come to Beisdin and go ahead and claim, well, Ruben, you cost me $10,000. Could he do that? Does that work? And swear, swear to them, and then cause Ruvain to pay. Olo, so I'll leave with the man. So I will say, so now this is very interesting. We're going to get into this about Grama and Garmi. Grama and Garmi. And we will discuss this a huge, raging machlokas. Are there two concepts of causation or one concept of causation? We're going to see that machlokas later on. For now, I will say, what we're just going to go with is the idea, just for the sake of, of keeping it a little bit simpler, is that Groma and Garmi are the same thing. Just two different words for the same for the same thing, meaning causation. So according to the opinion that says that in general, by monetary law, you're not chayiv for secondary damages, you're not chayiv for Groma, for causation. So they would agree, I will say, Moser, right, informing on another Jew is causation. I'm, 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 not, I'm not damaging him, right? I'm not punching him in the face. I'm not going ahead and actually stealing the money from his pocket. I'm creating a scenario through which another Jew is suffering a financial loss. Okay, so according to the opinion that holds that essentially we don't get involved in grama by nezikin, causation by damages, then you wouldn't, you wouldn't get involved in this case as well. Elotikiti by the house, where does the question come up? According to the opinion that says 
that I will say even in cases of causation, we do, based and does get involved. So what's the halach over here? Asu takhanas nigzal b'maser, dimishtab v'shakil, olo. So we'll say that's our shayla. So imagine the following scene. Ruvain informs on Shimon, hands him over to a, to a despotic, corrupt government. As a result, Shimon loses $5,000. Shimon now shows up in Bezin and he says, listen, Ruvain caused me a loss. We don't, know, we, now, we don't know, we don't have a way of independently corroborating how much the loss was. So Shimon says, I'm willing to take a shavuah, just like by theft, right? Just like by tamun. I'm willing to take a shavuah to say, I swear that Ruvain's Mesira cost me $5,000. So do we apply, extend the takana of theft, takana sanigzal, to this case as well? Allow Shimon to take an oath that he, that Ruvain's misira, Ruvain's act of informing, cost him $5,000, let him collect based on that. The Gemara says, teku. Teku. Okay, so both say, so what's interesting is, what the Gemara is suggesting over here, so just fascinating. So we have our takana sanigzal, which in general says that if someone steals from you and somehow are unable to ascertain or independently corroborate the amount of the theft. If you swear regarding the amount of the theft, that oath enables you to collect. To collect. According to Rabbi Huda, you could extend that concept to Tamon, and then the Shail is, can you extend that concept to a Groma case as well? Like a case of Mesira. So we'll say those are our three cases over here. Good. There's a guy. So ultimately, and I will say, what does he do? He kicks the chest of his friend. Now, not his friend's chest. In other words, his friend has a chest, like a, a box. A box. Like a money box. Yeah, like caspasta literally means a money box. So Ruben goes, so I go, I go over to Ruben. I get upset at Ruben. I kick Ruben's money box. I kick it into the river. Okay, now what happens? So ultimately again, so Ruvain comes to base and Ruvain says, silver kick my money, my money box into the river. And ultimately again, there was a thousand dollars in there. Yosef Ravashi, the Kama Ayinbe. So Ravashi was thinking about this and he was pondering. He says, What is the halacha in this case? So the Gemara says, "Amalei Ravina Ravacha Braid Rava, Va'Amalei Ravacha Ravacha Braid Rava LaRavashi Lav Hanu Masnis in this Nan Umodim Chacham Rabbi Yehuda Bemadlike Sabira Shemeshalein Komasha Besocho Shekin Derech Bene Adam LaHaniach BeBatim." So the Gemara says this would be similar to the to the Mishnah. But say, what was the Mishnah? Last case in Mishnah. I go ahead and I ignite Ruben's house. And Ruben's entire home goes up in flames. What's Talach saying? I am liable for everything inside the house. I, what Tamun, this is no Tamun. There's no Tamun. Why? Because it's common for people to keep stuff in their house. Okay, now how we arrive at, how we arrive at the actual amount that was in the house. So it sounds like what Ruben's going to do, like we just said before, Ruben's going to swear. He's going to take a Shavuah. This was in my house. That was in my house. But that'll be the same thing over here. So Ruben comes to Basin. He said, we all, here's, what's the fact? We'll say, what are the facts? The facts we know is, I kicked Ruben's money box into the river. That's what we know. What don't we know? What don't we know? What was in it? So it sounds like Papashtus Ruben will tell us what's in it. He'll swear to that. And then based on that, he'll be able to collect. You're right. If, if Ruben was claiming there was $1,000 of cash in my money box, you're right. The case is actually pretty simple. Let Ruben swear. Let Ruben take a shvua. And based on that, ultimately, again, he will be liable. He will be liable. What's the case over here? The katan marginisa. Well, let's say this is very interesting. Where Ruvain claims, Ruvain claims that ultimately, again, Ruvain claims that there wasn't money, there were diamonds. There were diamonds. So let's say, so now already, this is a different kind of claim. So me, so the Gemara says, me manchi inshi marginisa bekas pasta olo. So we'll say, here's the question now. The question is, do we go ahead, do we go ahead and assume that people keep jewels in a money box or not. Otherwise, they'll both say, if Ruben's claiming money, then the case is straightforward. Swear and collect. The question just is, if he claims that there were jewels in there, that's a little bit of a departure from the norm. So do we accept this claim, or do we say, sorry, sorry, the takanas nigzal, essentially, the ability to swear and collect, only works when, only works when, in what we'll call normative cases. Cases where we expect... But in, in non-normative cases, ultimately, again, we don't let you take an oath and collect. So the Gemara says, take oath. We'll have to go ahead and leave this as an open-ended question. But let's say, Carol, I'll just point out something really interesting about this. 
We'll say, what's fascinating about this whole case, right? So let's think about this just a second. I go ahead and I kick Ruvain's, I kick Ruvain's chest. Chest goes into the river. Okay, so now what's Alchay brings me to Beisden. Brings me to Beisden. And now he says, there were $1,000 in my chest. So now, resolution seems to be quite simple. What's resolution? What's resolution? Ruvain, take a shua and collect. He'll say, what's, what's halachically troubling about this? What's halachically troubling? We have a principle for the extraction of money. What's the principle of extraction of money? Hamotzi mechaver alavaraya. So I don't understand, like, like, I don't know, bring some footage, I, bring, I, I don't know what, just the shua. So we'll say, what's different about this case? What's different about this case is, I kick the chest. As we'll say, I got angry, I kicked the chest. From a Muslim perspective, what do you see? You see, if you're able to say that the danger of anger is that anger changes all of the rules, right? When you do something out of anger, so everything, the whole landscape changes. Hamotzi mechavera alav haraya is a halacha that applies ultimately again between two rational human beings. I go with you, you say, you owe me a thousand dollars. You say, no, I don't. I say, yes, you do. Okay, there's a mechanism. There's a mechanism. The moment you act out of anger, halachic mechanisms to a certain degree, they almost like evaporate. You act out of anger, so suddenly again, you've changed the circumstances. Suddenly now you've created new realities. And the fact that you have acted out of anger makes you the perpetrator, makes you the aggressor, and fundamentally changes what we'll say. That's the danger of anger. You talk out of anger, you act out of anger, it changes all of the circumstances around you. We're going to discuss this, we'll see this in next week's parasha, a beautiful stipler. The stipler says, right, we'll see by the second of the second makos, the Pasuk says, Vatal hasvardeo, the frog ascended onto the, onto the banks of the Nile. So Rashi HaKadosh points out, it says, Sardeo is singular, but ultimately again, we know that there are frogs, frogs everywhere. So what's the Pshat? So Rashi calls the famous Medrash, it was one big frog. And what did the Egyptians do? They kept on hitting it. And every time they hit it, more little frogs spawned off. So the stifler asks a simple question. He says, in general, in life, this is good advice. If you see a big frog, and every time you hit it, little frogs come off, logic dictates that what? Good, we'll say, this is free advice. Take it, right? right? Stop hitting the big frog if every time you do it, little frogs come off. Stipler says something amazing. He says the Egyptians were known for two things, immorality and chaos. He says anger. What does anger do? Anger causes you to act blindly without recognizing the ramifications and implications of your actions. So you could be sitting there, hitting that frog, seeing that every hit, every hit, is causing you to suffer more because more and more little frogs are coming off. And you know what? You just don't stop. You just don't stop. You're so blinded by your anger that you can't stop what you're doing, even though what you're doing is hurting you. It's such a, so the Gemara says over here, it's incredible. It's like, I got angry. I kicked Ruvain's box into the, into the water, into the sea, into the Nar. So it's like, so normally, normally if somebody wants to extract money from me, well, not anymore. Not anymore. You acted out of anger, and when you act out of anger, again, you change the landscape. Suddenly now, Ruben holds me to Beisdin, he takes an oath, and again, I have to pay. I would say, anger that Ramam brings down is the most detrimental, corrosive, destructive midah that a person could have. To the point that the Rambam says, every other midah you're supposed to have like a little bit of, kas, you're supposed to eradicate it. Interestingly enough, the Rambam says, how do you get rid of kas? How do you get rid of anger? The Rambam, profound piece of my Modian wisdom, the Rambam says, stop getting angry. Which I will say tells you something absolutely amazing. Dram's perspective was, you control who you are. You control what you are. People like to say, I have a bad temper. As if saying, I have a bad temper means like, you know, like I have, you know, like, like I have an illness. Like, person says, I have diabetes. Nebuch, a person has diabetes. Okay, they, they didn't choose that. That's, that's, that's what they have. A person, Ahmad Aslan, has cancer, has this, has that. Those, it looks like a person says, I have, I, have, I have a bad temper. As if it's saying like, this... No, you choose, you, you may have been, there, are, there was no question we're born with certain dispositions. So it could be you're born with a shorter fuse. That is absolutely possible. But it's you who chooses to maintain it, and it's you who chooses to ignite it. The Rambam says, if you know that you struggle with anger, you know that you struggle with anger, okay, got it, noted, control it. Stop getting angry, because when you don't, you continuously hit the frog. And when you don't, you kick people in the chest. Right? And when you don't, ultimately, again, you change the halachic and actual life realities all around you in every moment. Incredible. Let's go back there. Says the Gemara. Says the Gemara. 
good. Amrle, Amrle, Rav Yemar the Ravashi. Ta'in kisei the kasa of the kasa of Yeremai. So let's listen to this. I burned down Ruvain's house. And Ruvain claims, you know, there was a silver goblet in my house. You now owe me money for the silver goblet. So, so what's that? So now, we'll say, so the shayla is, now that we know how it works, that ultimately when I burn down Ruvain's house, I am liable for everything. And again, he takes an oath and I pay him. We'll say, what about if he claims like a real outlier? Right? There was apparently a silver goblet. A silver goblet was very uncommon. So the Gemara says, Amarle, Chazina, I inish Amit, who the Isle Kas de Kaspa, right? Inami inish Behem Nohu. Demifkide inish Kabe, Mishtaba Vishakil, Vilo, Laf Kolkomini. So we look at him either, was he a wealthy enough guy that he, has a, that he has a silver goblet, or was he the kind of person who was very trustworthy and therefore someone would have deposited a silver goblet with him? So in other words, if the claim that Reuben is making is a little bit of, a, of an outlier claim, an item that people wouldn't normally have, so we assess him both on a personal wealth level as well as on a believability, a credibility level, would he be the kind of person with whom others would deposit such an item with? And if the answer to either one of those two questions is yes, and he swears, and I have to pay him the value of the silver goblet. Only Rav Ada, Ravashi, Ma bin Gazlon Lechamson. Let's see, interesting case over here. What is there's a Gazlon and a Chamson? Amalei Chamson, Yoav Dimei. Gazlon, Lo Yoav Dimei. Also, here's the difference. A, gaz, a Gazlon steals. He's a thief. A Chamson, Rabosei, pays money, but takes the item by force. In other words, he pays, but Lavdafka, the seller, wants to sell. Okay, so Rabosei, so now watch this. Amalei Chamson, Yoav Dimei. Gazlon, Lo Yoav Dimei. Amalei, Yoav Dimei, Chamson. I don't understand. If you're paying money, then why are you called a Chamson? What are you called? What are you called if you pay money? What are you called? A buyer. Someone says, Bahama Rafuna, Taluha Vizavin, Zvine Zvine. You're going to say, the halachas, actually, we're, we're going to talk about this. If you force someone to sell, and ultimately they sell, the sale is a valid sale in halacha. So we'll say, so that's not a chamson. Lokasha, Hadam Rosani, Hadalah Amrosani. We'll say, if at the end of the day the seller says, fine, I'll do it, then ultimately, again, as much as it was a forced sale, the halacha recognized it as a sale. Versus, I will say, if you give a person money, right? I throw the money at Reuben and I take the object. Reuben says, I don't want to sell. I don't want to sell. But I paid him the money. That's called a chamson. That's called a chamson. So ultimately, again, you're still called the thief, but it's a different gradation of theft. We'll talk about this. I will say, Amadeis. Mishnah. Gets shiyatsa mitachas hapatish. So I will say, listen to this case. So I will say, I'm a, I'm a blacksmith and I'm banging away on the, on the metal. And what happens? A spark flies out from under my hammer and goes and ignites a fire. Ignites a fire. I'm chayif. I will say, that's my, it's my cloak is exactly what, what this is. But the pastos, let's assume just because of the placement of this case in our parak, that it's ish. That it's ish. So I'm chayif for my spark that then goes out and causes damage. Watch this. I have a camel, and my camel, I'm leading my camel through Rosh Hashanah, but my camel is laden. It's laden. So if you can imagine, like it has like wheat on it, right? So, so listen to this case. It's incredible. So now, my load, my load, load of my camel extends into the store, right? Into one of the stores of Rosh Hashanah, is ignited by one of, by a candle inside of the store, and ignites, burns down the whole store. So what's Talacha? Ultimately, again, Bal Gamal Chayiv. I am Chayiv. Why am I Chayiv? I'll say, why? Because I loaded my donkey in, in an irresponsible way. When you load your donkey, you're supposed to load it in an camel, you're supposed to load it in a way where the load doesn't extend into any of the stores. Right? But I loaded it in an irresponsible way, therefore I am Chayiv for any subsequent damages that occur. Interesting. However, that's only if the candle of the shopkeeper was where? Inside the store. Because then the, irrespons- the, the responsibility is on me because I irresponsibly loaded the donkey. However, if the chenveni went ahead and kept his fire outside, then what? Then the chenveni is liable. Why is he liable? Why? Because why are you keeping your candle outside? However, here we go. Rabbi Hudon Pater. Rabbi Huda says, however, if the fire we're talking about is near Hanukkah, near Hanukkah where there is a license and an obligation to keep it outside, then ultimately, again, the chenveni would be potter. Incredible. We'll say that's analyzed. Says the Gemara. Am Ravina Mishmei Durava. Shema Minam Bid Rabbi Huda. We'll say that's from Rabbi Huda. Near Hanukkah mitzvah lahanicha besoch hasara. So it's beautiful. What do you see from Yehuda? That in Hanukkah, the mitzvah is to light the candle, to keep the candle within ten tefachim to the ground. Right? Why? Because if that wasn't the case, the Yisachadaytcha, and therefore, therefore in Hanukkah, 
I, right, who's leading my donkey through Shusarabim, have an obligation to be cognizant that there are going to be menorahs outside, neros outside, and therefore the responsibility is on me, is on me to ultimately, again, avoid igniting the load on my camel. So you see from here, the mitzvah is to light it with intense vachim. These are light chalam alam because if the mitzvah is to, because if you can light it even above ten vachim, amai amrav yudin erchanaka pater. Then why, why ultimately, again, with the chendini, be pater even for erchanaka? After all, lemale, habale la'anucha, lemala mikamavorochbo. I could have, I, the owner of the camel, could say, listen, Ruvain, why don't you let your nechanaka higher so that it's out of reach of my animal? The fact that I can't make that claim indicates that the mitzvah is to place nechanaka within tent fachim of the ground. Therefore, Ruvain has every right to do so. And the responsibility is upon me to ensure that my animal does not ignite its load within nechanaka. Elash mamino, mitzvah micha besoch Good. Says where maybe not. Maybe you could even light the Nerchanaka above ten tefachim. My arm. So the Gemara says my amrit. So you should say I could say to Ruvain. Ruvain, you should have kept your Nerchanaka even higher, and therefore would not have not ignited the load of my camel. Even though Ruvain could put it higher, since he's involved in the mitzvah, ultimately, again, Chazal did not occupy him with, with concerning himself with the height of the Ner Okay? Again, just the last halacha, Ner even if you want to hold the Ner could be above 10 Tfachim, it cannot be above 20 Amos. Right? Why can't it be above 20 amos? The same way you, that you can't make a sukkah that is taller than 20 amos, the same way that you can't place the lechi or the korah of a mavui above 20 amos as well. What's the logic? The logic is anything above 20 amos, lo shalta ba'ina. The eye doesn't really, there's no ocular recognition, right? The eye doesn't really see it. So, Nehachanaka ultimately, again, which is the mitzvah, which is the mitzvah per suminisa, has to be within, we'll call it recognition range, and ultimately, again, that has to be below 20 amos. So, we'll say, we pass in like both of these things. In other words, we pass in that the ideal placement for Nehachanaka, if you're lighting outside, is Lamata Miyud, within 10 Tfachim, within three feet of the ground. That's, that's the goal. That's the goal. We'll say, why? Because it's recognizable. That also shows that it's not for illumination. Therefore, Halacha Lamaisa, in Rishus Harabim over Hanukkah, I, the owner of the animal, have a responsibility to be cognizant of the presence of Neros Hanukkah, and the responsibility is upon me to make sure that my animal, that the load of my animal does not get ignited by any of the Neros Hanukkah. During the rest of the year, during the rest of the year, no one has a right to put a fire in Rishus Harabim. And if they do and it ignites, they bear the responsibility. During the rest of the year, if my animal has a load and the load extends into Ruvain's store and is ignited there, responsibility is upon me. Sorry, one more piece. Near Hanukkah, you could go ahead, technically speaking, what if you lit it, lit it above 10 Tzvachim, your Yotze, as long as what? As long as you lit it less than 20 Amos. Good. I will say, Mazel Tov, Hadrin Allah. Hakones, Mazel Tov, Mazel Tov, beautiful, new parak. So Merubah, I will say, by the way, I still owe you, just I'm not going to do it today just because of time. I still owe you, how do we paskin? Rabbi Hudin the Rabbanon, by Tamun, right? How do we paskin? Hold on, we'll do that tomorrow. Merubah, Midas Tashlumi Kevin, Midas Tashlumi Abba Bechamisha. We'll say, listen to this. So we'll say, we're going to talk now about theft. In the world of theft, there are different types of repayments. So for example, there's Kefal. What's Kefal? Kefal is someone steals something. And I said we're going to see Kefal only applies to Geneva, not Gizela. Two different types of theft, right? Gezel means visible theft. I go over to you, punch you, take your wallet. That's called Gezel. Geneva is repetitious, right? Geneva ultimately, again, is done in secret, done, right, done, done, repetitiously. We will say, by Gezel, the halacha is, you have to repay back that which you stole. That's what you stole. By Gneva, you have to pay back Kefal, double. Double, that's Talacha. One other piece, by Gneva Rabosai, if you steal livestock, and let's say you steal a sheep, or you steal an ox, and you slaughter it and you sell it, then there's another penalty. What is that called? Arba Vechamisha. 
four or five times, four times, four times the value of the sheep, five times the value of the ox or the cow, they will say that's another penalty, also by Geneva. So now watch this, says the Gemara. So we'll say, but that distinction of Gzela and Geneva, very important. Gzela, visible theft, right? Geneva, secret theft. Gezel, you're only obligated to pay back principal, whatever it is that you paid, right? Geneva, if you are found out, obligated to pay Kefel double. If you stole through Geneva, not an object, but livestock, and then you slaughtered it and sold it, Arba Vechamisha. For a sheep, you have to pay four times the value of the sheep. For a cow, for an ox, for other types of livestock, five times the value of that item. Okay. So I will say this, that's the background. So Meruba Midas Tashlomi Kefel Midas Tashlomi Arba Vechamisha. So in certain respects, Kefel is more Hummer than Arba Vechamisha. How so? Kefel applies whether you stole a living item or not, or an object, or an ad, or inanimate object. only applies if you stole livestock. If you stole livestock. O machro. The passage says, if a person will set, steal an ox or a sheep, and he will slaughter it or sell it, chamisha bakar yishan tachas hashar. He has to pay five times the value of the ox, the arbetzon tachas hashar, and four times the value of the sheep. Now, why the distinction between how much you have to pay for a sheep, how much you have to pay for an ox? So we'll discuss. Ein hagonev achar haganav mishan tashlomi kefal. So it's another interesting case here. If you steal from a if you steal from a thief, in other words, I will say, watch this. You know, I, I steal from Ruvain. I'm a Ganav, right? I, I surreptitiously steal from from Ruvain, and so now I'm Chayiv Kefal. Now Shimon steals the object from me. So what's Talacha? If you steal from a thief, you are not obligated ultimately in Kefal. Watch this. If I steal, if I steal a sheep or an ox from Ruven. And then what happens, right? Mind, I was gonna slaughter it and sell it, but before I got a chance to, Shimon stole it from me. Saloch again, Shimon doesn't have to pay Arba V'chamisha four or five times, okay? So obviously again, I will say, we'll unravel all of this, we'll unravel all of this in, uh, in, in the Gemara. Let's just begin a little bit, says the Gemara, V'ilo. So we'll say, so that's the kind of Gornit Minaganov. If you steal from a thief, okay, good, V'ilo. Let's just talk about this outside for just a second, and then we'll stop for today. There are two possible cases of Ganov, right? What are the two possible cases of Ganov? One is, I actually go over to Ruvain, and I steal something from Ruvain, surreptitiously, right? Secretly, quietly. That's one case of Ganov. What's the other case of Ganov? Ruvain deposits something with me, right? Then he comes to get it back. And I say, and I say to him, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't have the object. And then it turns out that I do have the object. That's also a case of Geneva. That's also a case of Geneva. So, I will say, so we'll stop over here for today. But the Gemara wants to make this distinction ultimately, or is there a distinction between a straight out Ganov, a straight out Ganov, Versus a person who was rightfully given the object as a deposit to hold onto, but then denies that he ever had it. So we'll say, we'll leave off with that case. Mazda va finishing the barrack. Shukayach. All right, everyone, have a great day, everyone.